Revolution series, we're talking about the red letters of Jesus, the words of Jesus, as recorded by one of his followers, Matthew. Matthew wrote a book, it's called In the Bible, and so this book of Matthew, as it's known, uh, were the writings of this man who followed Jesus and talked with Jesus, Jesus talked to him, and so as one of his close followers, he heard stories that Jesus would tell, and they are called parables. And what the parables do is they take a story, and it's illustrative of a truth so that we can catch the truth. And so Jesus would say things like, the kingdom of God is like this, and then he would tell a story. And so we have been explaining those because here's what I found out. Many people have no clue what they mean. Uh, they don't know what those stories mean, or, or they get mixed up and confused and things like that. And so what we've sought to do is break this down week after week and to look at these words that Matthew recorded, help us to all understand what was Jesus trying to say then and now, because here's the fact, truth is truth, okay, in other words, uh, genes go in and out of style, but truth does it. okay? Uh, truth is the same, and it never changes. And so uh, when Jesus spoke truth, what was truth then is still truth today. And so we've been looking at these statements that Jesus made, these stories. And today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, but let me just uh, share with you real quick what happened in between 22 and 25. 22 is where we left off, uh, the last parable of Jesus. And then after that, Matthew records you know, teaching about taxes. Did you know Jesus talked about taxes and money? And he talked about resurrection. And he talked about love God and love people. That was a real big thing to Jesus. And uh, he talked about a warning against hypocrisy. And he talked about tithing. Uh, you ought to tithe in chapter 23. And then he talked about signs of the end times. And uh, he concludes this teaching in chapter 24 about the end times with this big thing of you're not going to know when it's coming. You're not going to know when it's happening. In other words, I'm not going to tell anybody. Uh, so it's not like, uh, Craig, do you have the inside track? You know, you're like, a, you're like close to Jesus maybe or something, you know. To, do you know? And no, no one's going to know. And to illustrate this, Jesus teaches a parable to help us to understand end times. So we're going to look at this story that Jesus told. Uh, now, let me just say that next week is the last one uh, that Matthew records for us. He records one more uh, before we get to the crucifixion and, of course, the resurrection. And so next week, we'll talk about this last uh, parable of the talents, and you don't want to miss that because a very, very important teaching that Jesus gave. And then next Sunday's Palm Sunday, and so that's like the Sunday leading up to Easter. And so we're going to take communion 
uh, next Sunday as well. So don't miss a special service as we think about the cross and we think about uh, the passion of Jesus and, and being crucified for us for our sins. So don't miss next week uh, as, as we look at that last one. But today, to set this up, I heard about a guy named Joel Jernigan, and this guy uh, was a Canadian who in Quebec, Canada, in 2008, bought a lottery ticket seven seconds after the deadline, and when the numbers were announced for the jackpot, he had the exact numbers that were needed for the jackpot. The problem is, he was seven seconds too late. Now, do not think that Joel gave up, all right? Joel has spent thousands of dollars to attempt to get the 27 million that he felt he deserved because the printer was too slow that printed his ticket. However, thousands of dollars later, Joel wakes up every day, can you imagine this? Thinking about the 27 million he does not have, all right? Now, I don't know what it's like to get up missing 27 million dollars, but Jesus says there'll be some who will come to the realization that they've been holding the wrong ticket all this time. That there's a right ticket and there's a wrong ticket. And to help us to understand what the kingdom of God is like in this, we're going to look at this story that Jesus told. So if you have a Bible, Matthew 25, if you don't, we'll have it up on the screen. Here's what it says. At that time, some translations say then. And, and why it says that is because in light of what I just taught you, in light of what I was just talking about, I was talking about end times, I was talking about how that you're not going to know uh, when it's going to happen. In light of that, the kingdom of heaven, and that's what he's talking about because we can get into the kingdom of this world. And we can get into the kingdom of our own kingdom and, and get wrong mentality going. And so we need Jesus' words to help us to get recentered, to get back focused on what's more important and what will last forever and what's temporary. And, and so he helps us to do this with, with this teaching. This is the kingdom of God. It's going to be like this. When ten virgins took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there, there, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. 
The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the doors for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, this is different from our perspective on weddings. We'll get to that in a moment, but let's just identify some of these characters there in the story. The bridegroom. Uh, who is that? That's Jesus, right? That's Jesus. Now, how do we know that's Jesus? It's because uh, there are other places in the Bible where God uses the imagery of a wedding uh, of a married couple to illustrate his love for his people. And how even in the Old Testament, he talks about them being like his bride. And, and so in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus being the bridegroom. And so uh, that's who he was. That he's the bridegroom in this story. And then, uh, unlike in weddings that we've been to or that you've probably been to, there's an announcement. The bridegroom is here. You been to one of those? No, I think about every wedding I've ever done or been in or participated in or seen or whatever. It's more about the bride is here. You know, the organ. Oh, everybody stands up and looks back here. They, they don't look at this guy up here. They look at her, right? But in ancient times, it was a little different. Because in ancient times, a young Jewish boy would go, if he wanted to marry this, this um, young gal, he would go to her house and he would ask her father and her uh, for her hand in marriage, for her to marry him. And, and if it all went well and he was accepted, then he would say to her, I go to prepare a place for you then. That where I go, you can be also. And I, if I go away... I will come again and receive you unto myself so that we can live together forever. And so he would leave and he would go back to his father's house because he would build a home either connected to his father or on his father's property and he would build a home where they would celebrate their lives together, where they would live together as a couple and that young man would work diligently. He would work a long time. He would look, work long hours to prepare that place and to make it as special as he could for his bride. But he wouldn't be done when he thought he was done. He would be done when his father said, you're done, son. It's finished. You can now go and get your bride. And the son would be sent to go back to the bride's house to receive her unto himself. 
as his bride, and then he would take her out, and they would announce, the bridegroom is here. He's, he's here. He's come back. He's, he's ready. They're, they're going to celebrate their love for each other, and, and there would be this announcement, and, and these unmarried women, these girls, would come out into the streets with their torches, and they would light the streets, and they would have this processional after the wedding where they would go back to the father's house. They would go back to this cottage. They would go back to this home that the son had prepared so that she could go back and live with him forever for the rest of their lives. Now, that sounds a lot to me like the words that Jesus used you're familiar with John chapter 14, where Jesus talked to his disciples about, I go to prepare a place for you. And when my father tells me it's time, and I don't even know when, when that'll be, then I'll come back and receive you unto myself so that where I am, you can be also. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that, right? I'm ready. It's going to be awesome. So what about these bridesmaids? What's up with these ten virgins? Jesus describes them. There's, there's five and five, and they're divided into two groupings, really. Uh, there's a distinction that's made not by their attire, not by their outward appearance, but about who they are as people. They are, first of all, described as people that could participate in this celebration. They could be taken in to uh, the, the celebration, to go to this great grand feast that was prepared. And so they're welcomed. And so we know the first group that was invited to that, and we know this from other parables that Jesus told, were the people of Israel, where, where God said, I've chosen you. I'm going to show my light through you. You're going to be like a light to many nations, and they're going to be drawn to you, and they're going to say, we want that God. He's so awesome. He's so fantastic. Look at those people over there. They're so full of joy. They're so full of peace in their lives. I mean, I mean, who are they serving? What kind of God do they have? And so we know that, but we also know that Jesus uh, is also foretelling how he will call his church unto him. How that we will be a part of this invited group of people. Now, we also know that these were, were prepared, five of them, five of them were not, but we also know that all ten fell asleep. And that's not a bad thing. Because like I said before, no one's going to know so whether you're saved, unsaved, whether you're Christian, non-Christian, whether you're, you, you can be whoever, you can be the Pope, you can be whoever, uh, you can be whatever person on the earth, you're not going to have a heads up. There's going to come this announcement, and, and it'll just catch everybody off guard. The point is not sleeping. The point is preparation. And, and so uh, there are wise and foolish maidens here. Now, wise, we know, in the Bible, describes somebody, not somebody so much smart as somebody who taps into the wisdom of God. That all wisdom, the Bible says, comes from God. 
And if we'll ask him, he'll give it liberally to us. And so wisdom also says that, that it's wise to know God. That only a fool says there is no God. And, and so it's wisdom to know God, to want to know him better, to be connected to him. That's wisdom. Now, foolishness in the Bible is not stupidity. It's not whether well, they were stupid. These were stupid girls, you know. That's not what he's talking about. All right, the, these five were foolish. And again, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So in other words, what, what these foolish ones are is unprepared. They, they weren't ready for him. Uh, they weren't wise. They weren't knowledgeable about God. They were foolish. They, they had rejected. In other words, they were selfish, self-absorbed people. Okay, it's not that they were so much bad people, and you wouldn't look at them and say, well, that's a good and the bad. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying good and bad. He's saying wise and foolish is the description. Just like maybe in this room today, there could be people who are wise, who have tapped into God's wisdom, who, who know God and, and know who God is, and, and, all, and then there's people who don't, and they're just busy. And they're self-absorbed, and, and they've got so much going on, they don't really have time for knowing him or trying to know him. And so the foolish are here. They're unprepared. The wise are prepared. And, and that's the difference between the two. And so then the next distinction is this, and this is where I want to go for the rest of the morning, is five had oil and five did not. Okay, so help me out here. Turn to the person next to you and say, check your oil, all right? Check your oil. Because we're, we're going to do that for the rest of the morning, all right? We're going to check our oil. And, and here's a few things that I see in this story about the oil that we need to check today. So you need to check your oil gauge here this morning, and for some of you, we're going to get it filled up before you leave here today, all right? We're going to, get, we're going to fill it up. Uh, first thing, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, is the provision, the provision of oil. There was a supply that some of these had. Uh, they had uh, they had already brought oil with them. Now, what's the meaning of oil? What was Jesus saying when he says they had oil. In the Bible, uh, it teaches us that oil is descriptive and can be a picture of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. As a matter of fact, it starts out way back in, in the Bible where there would even be anointing of oil. In other words, when the first king was selected for Israel, they anointed him with oil. They poured oil, literally, on Saul. And the Bible talks about how Saul was filled with the Spirit. That the Spirit of God would come on Saul. Would come upon his life. And we also know that the Holy Spirit came on Jesus as well. Because in the New Testament, 
uh, Jesus got up in church and read from the Bible. He read the scriptures and he turned to Isaiah 61 and he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. He's anointed me. And Jesus went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about how there's an oil of gladness or an oil of joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. And in James chapter 5, it says, is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them anoint them with oil And pray the prayer of faith, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And so we actually use oil in this church. We have vials of oil that are down here at the front. That If you come forward for prayer and you say, you know, I read that verse in James chapter 5, and I'd like to have that. I'd like to be anointed with oil. We can do that. We we can anoint you with oil, and we'll do that. Uh, Pray over people to receive God's Holy Spirit power of healing, uh, of miracles uh, in their life as we pray. There's nothing special about the oil. It's what the oil symbolizes because it symbolizes the Holy Spirit. So the distinction is some had the Holy Spirit and some didn't have the Holy Spirit. Some had the presence of the Holy Spirit on their lives, and some did not. Now, I want to say that this goes to really our theme verse around here where Jesus said, I've come that you might have life to the full. You can't have full life without being full of the Spirit. Does that make sense? If you're not full of the Holy Spirit, then you're not going to live life to the full. Because he he has fullness of his power that he wants to put upon our lives. And so he did that in his first first group of people called Israel. And he does with the church. And Jesus even said to the people of his day, you're not just rejecting me. But you're rejecting the Holy Spirit. You're resistant to the Holy Spirit in your life. And, And Jesus is saying here, the groom is coming. The announcement of the groom is coming, is going to happen, and some of you are not going to be ready because you've not prepared yourselves and you don't have the oil in your lives. And, and there was a man who was very smart. He was very learned in the scriptures. His name was Nicodemus, and he came to Jesus at night when nobody was really looking. He wouldn't be noticed, and he was inquiring about, what, what is this? You know, this is born again, and, and this kingdom, and, and oh, I, I, I don't get it. And Jesus said to him, well, here's what you need to do. Pull that scripture up for me from John 3. It says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water, that is a normal, natural birth. He was talking about two different births. And the, what? Spirit. Spirit. You have to have a spirit birth. You have to have the Spirit within you. The significance of the Holy Spirit cannot be overemphasized. We can underemphasize it, but you can't overemphasize just how important the Spirit of God is in your life and mine. 
All right, second thing to write down, it's not just the provision, but then I noticed something, the power, the power of this oil, the power of the Holy Spirit. There's several things that the Holy Spirit does. This week I just put down a few. Let me read them to you. Uh, These are straight out of the scriptures. The Holy Spirit convicts. He helps us to know, "Mm, I need to change. Uh, The Holy Spirit calls. He calls us. He converts our hearts. He brings life change. He connects us to the body. We become family. Right? Any family in the house? Huh? Okay. All right. Hang on. All right. We, and he conforms us to his image. Uh, we become more like him. And, and we have confidence in our salvation. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, I don't have to have you tell me, I th- Craig, I think you're a child of God. I know I'm a child of God because his spirit is inside of me telling me I am his child, Right? competencies, his gifts that he gives. He gives comfort. The, the matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And he clarifies and opens our eyes so we can see more clearly. And he counters our sin by his grace and gives us the ability to win full-out victory over sin in our lives. And so let me illustrate this because these gals carried torches, not just little, I don't know, home interior, we used to call it kind of stuff, uh, lanterns in our house or whatever, but uh, it was more like this, all right, uh, more like a torch. And before I lit that, you couldn't tell the difference which one had the oil and which one didn't. See, they they looked the same. In other words, it wasn't the packaging. It's the power that makes the difference. It's not the lamp. It's the light that makes the difference. When you don't have the light, then you're just a decoration. You're just a fixture without a function. You have no fire, and you're only a piece of hardware in the house. You're just outer decor without a light, because the light does some things. The light brightens. The light transforms. There's heat with the light. I mean, this, this flame, how many know, is powerful. It, it can do some powerful things. And before I get everybody freaking out that the sprinkler system's going to go on and whatever, <laughs> all right, we'll put it out. Well, let me tell you something. God's not interested in fixtures. He's interested in fire. And the enemy is not intimidated by your fixture. He is intimidated by your fire, all right? 
So that transforming fire is what makes the difference. Now the third word to write down, it's not just the provision, not just the power, but it's also the proof that Jesus said comes from the fire. And this is really where the real difference is, all right? As the Holy Spirit, when He fills and, and consumes your life, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul talked about like this, like, then you start walking in the Spirit. And you start living in the Spirit. And then you have things in Galatians, Paul wrote about the Galatians 5.22, he says, then things start popping out of you. Like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And people say, whoa, how, what, what is up? And you're like, it is not me. It's him that is in me, right? That's greater than he that's in the world. So it, it's more than decor that God is interested in in your life. It's not just looking the part. It's not just having Christian emblems on or things like that. It's not decor. It's deliverance. It's the power of God delivering you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, right? And so Jesus is talking about how the, 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 that's when the distinction's done. But, but it's done, notice this, when, when, when you really see it at the midnight cry. When the midnight cry happens, oh, now you can really tell the difference between the two. It really shows up at this point. And it's interesting that he uses midnight I think it's symbolic of the darkest part of the night. It's maybe also symbolic of when you would least expect it. And you know what's funny is, again, both of them were asleep. Both groups were asleep. But the cry goes out. And the cry is so loud, it's so powerful, it's so anticipated that they all are noticing something's happened. And Jesus, one day, will give a cry that will be so loud, so powerful, so mighty, just like the cry that said, let there be light. And there was light, just like that voice that cried out and created everything that you see in the universe. One day, the Bible says, there will be a cry that will go out, that will be so powerful, it'll ascend to every mountain. It'll go down in the depths of every valley. It'll find every crevice, every cavern, every, every situation on the earth, completely down into the depths of the ocean itself will hear the voice of God in resurrection power when every molecule that has ever lived and breathed and been and existed on this planet will come back to life and ascend up to heaven. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. what's going to happen. 
when the cry goes out. So instead of it being despair, there'll be joy for a lot of people at midnight. Oh, midnight's going to be, wow, yes. Oh, man, I thought it'd never happen, you know. Because when you've got the oil in you, it can brighten any midnight that comes your way. See, when you've got the oil of God's presence, his Holy Spirit in your life, the midnights of life are not a sign of despair. They are a sign of deliverance. Just like Easter, it looked dark, it looked gloomy, it looked over. But when Jesus left his body and, and committed his spirit to his father. It was just temporary leave of occupancy because in two more days he would come back to life and they'd have to roll the stone away so everybody could get in on what had already happened. Resurrection power had taken effect. And I'm telling you, it's a sign, it's a witness. His resurrection is proof that one day some of us, I hope all of us in this room will be resurrected into his presence. And we all have that hope. So see, midnight is a test, isn't it? It's a real test. Because, you know, when you light, light a torch at noon out in the bright sun, you don't really notice it all that much. See, you really notice the distinction of who's got the oil and who doesn't when it gets dark. When it gets so dark, you can't see your hand in front of your face. When the person who said that they would never leave you leaves you. When your kids are hooked on something that you can't get them away from. When your business drops down in shambles and your finances are in ruin and you feel like the end of the world has come. When the doctor sits across from his desk and utters words in your ear that you hoped you would never, ever hear in your lifetime. Oh, it can get dark. Help me out, somebody. It can get dark. And it doesn't make any difference which lamp you are. It can get dark. The difference is, is who has the oil. Because when it gets dark, it may be dark out here, but it's not dark in here, right? Because there's a fire in here. There's a light 
in here. There's a presence in here. There is someone in here. We used to sing an old song when I was a little boy in church that said, something within me I cannot explain. Something within me that banishes pain. And then it went on. I forget the rest of the words. And then it said, something within me that, that uh, I can't explain. All that I know I know this part, okay? There's something within, all right? And there may be some of us in this house that the devil throws everything he can throw, and he does everything that he's able to do, and it gets as dark. He turns off every light he can possibly turn off in your life, but in spite of that, he can't turn the light off that's inside of you. It's in me. Shout, it's in me. Shout, it's in me. He's in me. See, and, and let, me, let me just make this point. The, the five said, hey, can we have what you've got? Can, can we get what you have? And I, I kind of illustrate this this way. If there's somebody here this morning, you've got incredible courage. Like you can stare down lions. And you, you just have no fear. And I come to you and I say, hey, hey, hey. Whew. Dude, you got some courage. Could I have some of that? Could, could you give me some of that this morning? You'd look at me and say, man, I can't, I can't do that. I can't give you courage. You got to get it yourself. You have to get it yourself. You have to pursue it yourself. And you see, Grandma might have had oil. Mama might have had oil. Your dad might have had oil. Your uncle that was a preacher, you know, you, it looked like he had oil. You can't get it from somebody else. You have to get it yourself. But the good news is he can give it to you today. And we're going to pray that every person in this place will be filled with that spirit, that's that same oil that lights up the darkness, that no matter what comes your way, you're going to be able to stand against it in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there's power, there's freedom. So God, today, we thank you that you can not only fill us, but you can refill us. You may be here this morning and you'd say, Craig, I think some of my oil has gone down. 
I've been tempted to give in to the spirit of fear. I've been tempted to give in to different things. I've, I've been tempted even into some old ways. Like someone I met in between the two services today, they said, I was so glad I was here today because I've been ready to give in to doubt. And today, what you said was just what I needed to hear. And so that may be your battle. But maybe you're here today and you say, Craig, I, I don't want any room for doubt, fear, unbelief. I don't want room for anything that the enemy would try to throw in that is not a truth that I need to hang on to. I do not want any of that in my life. I want to be so full of the Holy Spirit that there's no room for anything else. If that's your desire, would you just raise your hand with mine up in the air right now. Father in heaven, you see every hand that's raised. And God, if, if, if we would just get filled, our marriages would be different. Our, our relationship with our kids, our relationship with our parents, our relationship with our friends at school, our relationships at work, everything would change if we were filled. And so God, today, we just say, fill me now. Fill my cup. Fill it up. Fill it to overflowing so that others can see the fire of your spirit in us. Maybe others of you are here, and if you were to be totally honest, you'd have to say, my lamp is empty. There's a vacancy. There's a void. There's a vacuum. There's an emptiness. There's a hollowness to my life. And I realized this morning that what I really need is not more money. It's not fame, fortune, better clothes, or whatever else. What I really need I need the presence of God in my life. I, I need Him and I want Him here today. And if that's you and that's your desire and you want to commit yourself to Him right here, right now, I want to help you to do that. Just raise your hand right now and just say, yes, that's me. That's me. Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. How many others over here? God bless you. How many others as well? All right, up there, God bless you. Over there, God bless you. All right back here. God bless you, young man. All right, way up there. God bless you. All right, let's pray this prayer. Crossroads family, just pray it with me to encourage those to pray it around you. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross so that I can be free. I believe you died for every sin that I've ever committed. And today I ask you to wash away my past. Give me a new beginning from this moment on as much as I know how I surrender my life to you. Thank you for accepting me as a child of God in Jesus name. Amen. Come on somebody give it up for those who made a commitment here today. It's awesome. Nothing better than that. Listen here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do.